that song kept going. His love endures forever. After every single uh, line, it says in love endures forever. And we need to remember that. Amen? Amen. We need to be told that Amen. again and again. Yes. Because we can often not feel that from the world and from so many other factors, our upbringing, um, so many ways that we can doubt God's love. And I don't know about you, but I confess sometimes I doubt God's love. And sometimes it's hard for me to feel like God would love me because I make a lot of mistakes and I am a sinner and I fall short of the glory of God. And this message today is really, it helped me a lot because it reminded me of a truth. Amen. Uh, And the book of Romans is what we're going through. And it just reminds me of an amazing truth. That God's love endures forever. Amen? Amen. Um, so let's turn to Romans chapter 3. We'll jump right in. I want to first welcome the Lewises. They're here, guys. Give a little wave. They're awesome. They're here from uh, Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, Josiah is contemplating. We'll pray for him. Uh, coming to USM. So we're excited about that. Uh, we're excited about their family being here. They're super encouraging. And uh, just really love you guys a lot. It's been great spending time with you. Um, and it's awesome to have the Maielis folks here. The Maielis, they're kind of like, you know, fellow Casco Bay members anyways. You know, we love them so much. It's, it's hard to even welcome them. We're like, yeah, yeah, they're here again. That's great. Um... But uh, we're excited uh, just to get in the Word today. I, th- I hope you've been excited about the book of Romans. And, um, you know, as, as the saying goes, if you get Romans, that's we're going to do that again. If you get Romans, God gets you. He gets you. Amen. He, he gets your heart. He has you forever. Because how could you leave this love? Why would you want to leave this love? And um, it's, it's so important that we get in God's word to get to understand God's love. You know, love is not just a feeling, amen? amen. It's a conviction that we must have, church. And we do that by getting deeper into our Bibles. Amen. You know, uh, I, I want us all, I want to hear the pages turning in church, amen? I want to hear your pages turning when you're at home. I want to encourage everyone this week to go through the book of Romans, to read the book of Romans, to listen to the book of Romans, to get involved in our Bible studies in a deeper way. Let's stop saying you don't have to turn there. Let's stop saying that as a church. If, If you say that, you know, we will gently and lovingly correct you. No, brother. No, sister. I'm going to turn there. Because we need to be Bereans, amen? Amen. We need to see for ourselves what the Word of God says. We can't just say, hey, uh, I'll take you at your word. Because if Paul wasn't taken at his word, amen, why should we take anyone else's word for it? Paul was the man. He could quote scriptures, and he was usually right. But those Bereans still walked miles to get to that one piece of scripture in the... the, uh, in the synagogue, they walked for miles to get to look at the scriptures and to say, hey, Paul talked about this. Is this really in 
that part of the Bible. Amen. Let me see for myself. Amen? Right. That was a little mini uh, commercial break. Okay. <laughs> Romans chapter 3. Amen? Let's jump in. Uh, we just last week talked about Romans 3. Uh, wow. We realized that all have fallen short of God's glory. We realized that, that whether you're Jew or Gentile, we all will not be declared righteous before God. And he ends chapter 3, and it's always good to, 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 as you before you go into chapter, another chapter, to kind of see where Paul was, in his mindset, was going. Amen? And in Romans chapter 3, in verse 28, he says, right after he says, all have sinned and all can be justified. Amen? That's encouraging. And, 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 and justified and proven right by the, by the blood of Jesus. He says in verse 28, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? He is not the God of the... Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too, since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. And he goes on. He just basically says... The law, the works of the law will not justify any man. Amen? Amen. And so when we hear this word works in the book of Romans, it doesn't mean just, it means the works of the law, of the 613 laws in the Old Testament. You know, a lot of, and we're going to talk about what works is today. We're going to talk about what faith is today. And we're going to talk about what it means to trust today. Amen? Amen. And so as we talk about this, he's talking to a Jewish and Gentile audience who's, who's a bit confused about, okay, what do we do with these laws now? You know, how do we, are, are, are they just obsolete? And Paul's saying, no, you fulfill the law by following Jesus Christ, amen, by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And so today's message uh, is simply entitled, Stop Working and Start Trusting. Man, I love that right there. (sighs) Anyone tells me to stop working, I'm fired up. (laughs) You know, you can stop working right now. I'm like, oh, great. Why don't you take a break? Nice. That sounds nice. How do you feel, church, when I say stop working? And I really mean, stop working. I feel fired up. Then you start thinking, what does trusting mean? Like Charlie just said. And we'll talk about that. Trusting means that God's got it. Stop working. Specifically for your salvation. And start trusting a God who paid for it already. And I can go home and say that if you really understood that, I could be done my sermon. But we're Bereans. And so we need to look into God's word. But this is one of my favorite chapters in the the Bible, Romans 4. There's a lot of Romans chapters that are my favorites. Romans 4, Romans 8. I love Romans 8. It should be like a whole epistle in itself, in my opinion. But it's amazing. Let's get into God's word and let's read together this beautiful chapter. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, 
but an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Verse 5 is the key, church. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts. Well, who do I trust? I trust God. I don't just trust Christianity. I don't just trust, oh, you know, hopefully we'll make it. I'm trusting a a relationship who died for me. I'm trusting someone who poured out his blood for me. And I can trust that man. And I can trust that God. Trust him that he justifies the ungodly through their faith. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one who God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are you, Casco Bay Church of Christ. Blessed are you. Blessed are me. Blessed are all of us. Who know Jesus Christ. Because our transgressions have been forgiven. Yeah. Are you kidding me? What? what? Yes. Amen. Our sins have been covered. Amen. My sins have been covered? Amen. For by what? Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. What about when I did that shameful thing, Lord? It won't be counted against you. That's what justification means. Justification means you are found not guilty. Amen. You know, that, it, 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 it feels weird when somebody who did a crime is found not guilty. We see it in movies. We see it in the, the tabloids. We say, that's not right. But you, church, are among those people who did the crime but are found not guilty. But unlike the world, God worked justice out as well because Jesus took our place. Man, we have to remember that. Oh, yeah, the cross. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Jesus died for me. And that covers my sins. And now my sins will never be counted against me. Is this blessed only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? I think we know the answer to that. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. Ding, 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 ding. The Jews are like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. That's true. The law wasn't even given. When, in Genesis 15, when Abraham looked up and God said, look up at the stars, you, you, you old man. <laughs> I'm going to give you more kids, more offspring than the stars that you can see. Can you count them even? That's how many offspring I'm going to give you. And Abraham believed, it says. He said, you know what? I believe. This is before anything happened. Pretty incredible. 
He left his home. He left his family. He left his idol-worshiping dad, and he went to the promised land, not knowing where he was going, and he believed. And at that moment, God credited to him as righteousness. What did he do to earn that righteousness? He just believed. He just believed. He just believed. He wasn't circumcised. He didn't, obviously Moses was after. (laughs) So he did not hear the law. And that's what Paul's point is here, guys. That both the circumcised and uncircumcised, both the Jew and the Gentile, all people for the time of eternity from here till the end are justified by faith. That the laws were done by faith. Amen. And no one followed the 613 laws perfectly. I'll tell you that right now. You know, even when, when, when Paul said he was flawless or blameless, was he? He said he was. I think killing Christians is against the law, Paul. I don't know. Let me think. Hmm. Love your neighbors yourself. Hey, if you were a Christian, would you like someone to kill you, Paul? Like to stone you, Paul? I would object it and say, you know what? You weren't blameless. You were a sinner. You were dirty. You were the worst lawbreaker, Pharisee. That's the last time I thought about the law. I'm not even an Old Testament scholar. But I think killing people isn't good. I think there's something in Leviticus about it. I think something in there says something. And then he'll come back to me and say, you know what? It says if someone should call themselves God. He should be blasphemed and they should you know, blaspheming God and they should be stoned. And I would say back to Paul, but what if he's right, Paul? Then you're the lawbreaker. See, not even Paul, who probably is the best Jew that I know. He's a lawbreaker, too. We all break the law. We all break the law, whether, as we talked about in Romans 2, in our inner being, amen, or in the law that we see. I broke the law in my inner being this week, today. I fell short today. I fell short every day. I need to be justified apart from the works of the law. And so do you. And I just need to accept that. You know, it's hard for me to accept that I'll never be perfect. But I just need to trust it. And we're going to talk about what it means to have a relationship with God through faith. Amen? Amen. Verse 10. He says, what, under what circumstances was credit? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, verse 11, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, not only are, circ- are those not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law breaks, brings wrath, and where there is no law, there was no transgression. That fires me up. 
What did Jesus lay down as the law? I thought about that a second. You got 613 laws in the Old Testament. And then when we read in the Gospels, what is he really commanding us to do? Certainly we can say the Sermon on the Mount is a great dissertation of, of the new heart law of God. We also know that he said, if you want to follow me, if you want to trust me, you need to give up everything. Amen? Amen. You, you need to deny yourself and, and take up your cross daily. You know, and there's obviously, you've got to be like a child if you want to enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot of heart laws that are spread. But what did he say? This is commanded. If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. It all came down to trusting him. The only law is to trust Jesus. But in trusting Jesus, I can be more righteous than any Jew. If I trust God, I can be so righteous. Not just because of his blood, but because I am transformed when I trust. Amen? Amen. We are transformed when we trust. And so thinking about this, I want to remind us of a scripture. Jesus was asked a very important scripture in John 6. What must we do to do the works God requires? Great question. I love this passage. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. That's all he asked, to believe in the one he sent. So therefore, man, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Where's the work in that? I believe in him. I trust in him. Let's do it, Jesus. Let's go. Where are we going? What are we doing? I'm not doing it so I can be saved. I'm doing it because I trust you. You know, he called Matthew and he said, stop doing the tax collecting, Matthew. Follow me. And he's like, okay, let's go. And he wound up writing the book of Matthew. John and, and, and Peter and his brothers were in the boat, called them out. And they left. That's pretty radical. They also cut off people's ears and called down fire on people and cursed and denied Jesus. And yet they still were apostles because they trusted him. You know, I already kind of emphasized this point or rather, but trust. Point number one is trust God who justifies. You know, stop trying to work for our salvation. And I know many of us think, oh, I don't work for my salvation. I hope you're right. But our country and our world is infesting your heart and mind. You're not good enough. You don't look good enough. You don't have a good enough job. You need to work harder. You're never going to get all your ducks in a row until you get this new thingy, doohickey. $9.99. You know, you're never going to be good enough. That's what we hear every single day. And, and God says, you aren't good enough. But I've made you good enough. And yet, our world's also confused about that. We are enslaved to working. <laughs> you know, what had Adam, was Adam said, you, you will sweat and, and fight Right? As, as the Bible says in Genesis. And you will try to work the ground <laughs> yeah. 
That is cursed. That's what we do, church. We are working the ground that is cursed all day long. And it's a losing battle. Because last time, I, if you have cursed soil and ground, it's not going to go well. And yes, we see some things. You know, when I mow my lawn, that feels good. But then it gets grows again. I pull out the weeds and the weeds grow again. I never am finished. Hopefully there's not weeds in heaven. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I don't think there will be. But the world teaches that we're, we have to work hard for what we receive. And so we bring that into our relationship with God. Did I pray enough? Did I read enough? Did I share enough? Did I care enough? Did I serve enough? How about asking this question? What's it mean to trust Jesus today? What's it mean to be absolutely trusting of Jesus today? I guarantee you that man or that woman will do even more. And he won't even feel like he's doing more by doing that. We don't live under the law anymore, church. We live to trust Jesus. You know, the basic thought of Christianity is that all we do is just to take God at his word. If we, church, would just take God at his word, we would not be burdened. I remember Ken Cole got up here and did a communion that flat punched me in the face in a good way. He read from the scripture of Matthew 11. He said that Jesus said to the people, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest for my soul, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he challenged us. And I don't even remember if he remembers this communion. He said, why do we feel like it's a burden then? And then he looked at another scripture. In 1 John it says, his commands are not burdensome. And I thought to myself, I feel pretty burdened right now. I feel pretty weary right now. Can you relate to me, church? I wish I had stopped working. I just keep seeing weeds in my heart. Keeps on growing. I cut it off. Keeps on growing. And God says, just trust me. It's a shift in thinking. It's so important that we get the scriptures. This is a passage of scripture. If you could get your whole life, you would feel unburdened by God's call for us, by his word. Why do we worry? Because we don't trust. Why is it hard to follow Jesus' directions? Because we don't trust he's right. We think our way's right. And then we go down there and we, we mess up. And then we go, oh, yeah, he's right. But then we stop trusting him. We go back to our own ways. Yeah. And even in all that, he's still loving us and giving us patience. Yeah. You know, I, I love the love languages. Who knows about love languages? If you're married or even if you're not married, most of us should learn about love language. You ever just not connect with somebody in the church? You're like, that brother, I don't know. I try everything. I, I gave him... I gave him a card, you know, I, I gave him cookies, I, I hug him, 
you know, I just can't ever get through to the brother. He's just so hard to get connected with. And someone says, you ever hear about the love languages? And I'm like, what's that? He says, there's five ways to love someone. There's words of affirmation. There's acts of service. There's quality time. There's giving of gifts. And there's physical touch. We all love like this. And I learned this, and we went through this as a, as, a, as a marriage retreat. We read through this, Danielle and I, and I was like, I mean, literally, aha moments coming off of me. I'm like, man, I got Danielle flowers today. I haven't seen her much. Why isn't she feeling, like, great about those flowers? <laughs> and I did the dishes, and I cleaned up. Why isn't she feeling fired up about me? <laughs> And then I realized that her love language is quality time. You know, it's very, like, pretty awesome. It's, it's very inexpensive love language. It's just, hey, let's be together. I don't have to wine her and dine her. I just need to be there. It's so hard for me because I grew up with a family that didn't value quality time. And so I'm learning still how to love my wife in that way. Now, my love language is gifts. If you give me a Snapple or a Snickers or if you give me one piece of gum wrapped up nice, I doesn't have to be expensive, although I like expensive too. If you give that to me, I'll feel so loved. You don't even need to spend time with me. So if you, if you have little time, it's easy to love me. Now, I, I, I'm starting to love quality time. I'm starting to really enjoy it. Oh. That's so nice. Yeah. Come on. It's wrapped up. Yes. So this is... This is... This is the five love languages. And what I learned is this is how we get close to the people that we love. Amen? Yes. And so that's another whole thing, a whole another whole lesson. But what I want to ask you is, what's God's love language? Physical touch is hard for the Lord. <laughs> you know? Words of affirmation, I mean, yeah, that's cool. You know, quality time, that's nice. Quality time, I think God values that. Giving gifts, you know, our offering, you know? Look at that bull, Lord. Look at that lamb. Look at that Benjamin, Lord. Threw down the Benjamin. God's like, I own it all. I own the cattle, a thousand cattle on the hill, right? So what's God's love language? Trust. Faith. Hebrews 11 says, it's impossible to please God. Actually, let's go there. Hebrews 11. You have to turn there. No. Yes. No. Yes. I would like you to. It would be important to. Please turn to it. Do it. Okay. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith. Oh, I'm going to wait. I love the turning of the pages. Ah. Oh, yeah. Come on. That's nice. All right. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. What is God's life language? You know, it's impossible to please Danielle if I don't spend time with her. It really is. I mean, it's, it's kind of impossible to love anyone if you don't see them and spend quality time with them. But it's impossible, right? If I was like, I'd like to love you, honey, but I'm just never going to spend any time with you. She'd be like, well, that's going to be hard. And yet it's impossible to please God without faith. He says, he doesn't say it's impossible to please God unless you follow the law. No. He says it's not impossible to please God, right? We look at Rahab the prostitute. What was great about her? I don't even know. I mean, she sounds like a pretty cool girl, but she lied. It says she was a prostitute. That's probably not good. And what did she do? She trusted that they were going to win, that the God of Yahweh was more powerful than any other God, and she better get on the right team. It's like right after I read Revelation. I didn't know what it was about, but I said, I need to be on God's team forever because he's going to win. Then I've learned a little bit more after that. But that was my first thing. Rahab knew that. That's all she knew. What was her conviction? By faith, Yahweh is more powerful than any other God. And she became the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. She became one of God's people. You know, I think about David. This is really convicting. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. Except, in the case of Uriah Hittite. First Kings, the word of God says that, God, that David had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands. But I love how it's just like, you know, but that was that Uriah the Hittite thing. Which was not a little thing. That was a big, big deal, man. His whole family felt the consequences of that. But that's what God says about David. Because he had trust in God. And he he was the one who quoted that scripture from, you know, that we just read about. Amen? Let's go back to Romans 4. He said that blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. He felt that, didn't he? Abraham is the father of faith. But let's just talk a little bit about his cowardice. Now, I'm not going to throw stones, right? Because I mess up all the time. But imagine me going to a new state, you know, and saying, oh, no, my wife is good looking. I better say that she's my sister. Say you're my sister. That'd be weird, right? We don't even look alike, so it'd be hard. That's your sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, sister, yeah. Kind of funny how things change, you know? But he did it twice. And both kings were like, what are you doing to me? I'm cursed because of you. Please, why didn't you say? I was afraid that you are going to kill me. Now, I just want to say, Sarah was kind of old. That's amazing. She must have been extremely beautiful, just to say that out loud. I just have to say it. I think she was 75. You know, amen. Praise God for Abraham. But thinking about the fact that, wow, 
How? How did you do that, Abraham? You are the father of faith. You came down with the spear and were about to, you know, kill your son. But then you're, you're scared of a king. You know, he had faults, didn't he? Yeah. But he's the father of our faith. I love this. I hope you love this too. That if you live a life of trusting Jesus, true faith, true biblical faith, that's going to be said about you. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and was not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. I want that to be said about me, church. I want that to be said about you, and it will be said about you. But it doesn't acknowledge, it doesn't, it doesn't skirt over the fact that you have, except in the case of blank, blank, and blank, you had some struggles. <laughs> Isn't it encouraging that both can be said because of faith, because of trust? Let's keep reading. Second point is faith is a verb. Amen. Now I know those people out there, they're English majors, it is a noun too. Amen? But if it just stays a noun, it doesn't save. Faith can't just be a noun. True faith can't just be a noun. It has to be a verb. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. That's us. Not only to those who are of the law, but of those who have faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that are not. Wow. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed that he, and so became the father of many nations. Just as been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And Sarah's womb was also dead. Whoa, whoa, relax. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This, it, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us. Who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Can we just camp out in verse 25 for a second? I just want to just say, I just saw this. He was delivered over to death for our sins. But we're justified because of his resurrection. Hmm. Interesting here. There's a power in the resurrection, right? The fact that if he just died and didn't raise, I would not be justified. Wow. That's pretty cool. But if he didn't die, I wouldn't be forgiven of my sins. And so both are so important. But I just want to talk about faith being a verb. Thinking about this for a second, because I think in our, I'm encouraged in our nation especially, that I think we understand that we don't have to follow the 613 laws 
of the Old Testament for the most part. Amen? Amen. I don't think people are like, hey, there are some Sabbath keepers and even some other denominations of faith that believe you have to follow the Old Testament. And, and you know, at the same time, they're certainly not following all of the laws. And for the most part, the majority of Christianity has a faith that we can do nothing to earn our salvation. And I say hallelujah for that. I think many people have gone before us to lay down that amazing groundwork. But as always, we can pendulum swing over here and say faith is just a noun. That essentially, it's, it doesn't affect my life. It doesn't change me. I don't do anything as a result of my faith. I just believe. Just believe, they say. What's it mean to just believe? People can say it just means just belief. But what does the Bible say? What does Hebrews 11 say about faith? Let's go there. Hebrews 11. Going back there. Faith is a verb. Verse 1. We're going to define faith in the works now. Amen? This is good. Faith. Biblical faith. Verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what it was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Go down to verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive an inheritance, obeyed and went. By faith, verse 17, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. You see where I'm going here, guys? Yep. Faith does something. Amen. And it doesn't just mean that faith, they weren't earning their pleasure with God. They just took God at his word. So if God says, jump up real high and do that, I'm going to jump up real high and do that. You know, someone says, if Johnny said to you, jump off the bridge, would you do it? No, but if Jesus did, yes, I would. Well, that's impossible. You're just going to fall. Well, God does the impossible. And Abraham thought, I'm going to come down with this knife and I'm going to kill my son, but I believe he can raise the dead. That's what it says in Hebrews. He just, he, just, he just reasoned that God can raise the dead. So he's going to just raise us up. And he said to the person, the servant, said, me and my son will offer and then we will come back. Man, that's why he's the father of faith right there. So I want to take this further. When he says works in the Bible, and you can look at this. I want you to look at it again. James 2.14 says you know, 
faith without deeds is dead? Can such a, a you know, faith save a person? No, it's dead. In our country, when we say just believe, it's not biblical faith. It's a noun. It's a noun. And I'm not judging in the sense of, I'm just seeing it. Seeing it for myself. Well, I can go do this and do that. It's okay, because I believe in Jesus. People don't always say that, but they act like that. And it's okay if I don't follow the gospel completely, because I, it's not by works I'm saved. And I say to you, church, what is the works that Paul is talking about? Does he mean not anything? You are not supposed to do anything? You're just supposed to sit there and just say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Even though I'm, I'm saying something out loud, so I just think it. I'm thinking, I'm doing something. So essentially, faith is an action, it's a verb. Used by Paul to denote deeds described by the Mosaic law, trusting in one's ability to keep the law is a reliance on flesh in an attempt to establish one's own righteousness. This is what Works was talking about. He was talking about earning it through your actions. But the tricky thing is, if you switch over to, to that other side, the pendulum swing, you get where faith is a lazy faith. It's I don't do nothing faith. But true biblical faith, church, does something. If I believe that I have strep throat, I'm going to go to the doctor and get myself some antibiotics, if I believe in antibiotics. And when I do that, I believe that medicine will help me. And so I'm doing something. You know, um, even Paul said, prove your repentance by your deeds in Acts 26. Acts 26, 20. You know, if, I, if I'm told by the, uh, uh, someone who has a lot of money, listen, I'm going to give you a million dollars, Glenn. Use it for the church. I'd be like, okay, that's nice. We will use it. I'd probably get a team of people together because I don't think I could figure it out myself. And I would probably not even be a part of the team. I would just let them figure it out because I'm scared to spend that kind of money. But first I got to get the money. And the guy says, you got to go to the bank to transfer the money into the church account. I'd probably have Wade do it, amen, because he's way more cooler than me in that area. So Wade goes to the bank and he says, what do I have to do? Well, you have to enter the code 4560. And you have to tell the, the, the Matilda, the bank teller, that information. And Matilda will give you that million dollars and send it over. Now, Wade goes into the bank. He says 4560 to Matilda, gives some ID. Boom, transfer it over, million dollars. Does Wade come out of the building? I just earned a million dollars for the church. Amen. Whoa. You know, he, he's probably not doing any of that. No, he says, what an amazing gift. What an amazing gift that, that someone gave the church. And I just did what the gift giver said to do. For instance, if I say, trust me, 
if you repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. If you repent and are baptized with trust in Jesus. I don't come out of the water and say, I earned salvation. Look at all the works I did. How do I say this? The way the Bible says works and the way America says works are not connected. They say works like do nothing. If you talk to Abraham and said, hey, what's faith? Faith would say, I, I went out, I, I left where I didn't go where I went when he got, told me to go. He told me to kill my son, I killed my son. He told me to, to trust God and, and wait, and I waited for 25 years. That's what he would say. Yeah. If you said, Noah, what does it mean to, to have faith? Mm-hmm. He would say, I built an ark. That's what it meant for me. I trusted before it rained and before any of this happened that God would do it. And everyone laughed at me. And, and I preached to them, but they still didn't listen. And only eight people came. Yep. Faith was building an ark. Right. What did it mean for you, Samson? You were a little sinful. You messed up a lot. You got your eyes gouged out. What did it mean for you? He wouldn't say it meant when I took that donkey jawbone and I started hitting people upside the head with it, that that was me doing awesome things for God. No, he would say, you know what it was? When I prayed and I just said, God, please let me honor you today. That was faith. That's why he's in the hall of faith. Not because of the donkey jawbone. Not because of all his shenanigans. It's because he trusted God in that moment. And it says he killed more people in that day than any other day before it. Not that that's our goal. (laughs) But his sacrifice. You know, we all spiritually die in the waters of baptism, so maybe that could be somewhat. Us dying like that could mean more. You know, I can't earn my wife's affection by being a good person. I, if I get all these awards for being a good person and I serve these people and I serve that people, but I don't spend time with her, it means nothing. You know, if she asks me, trust me, meet me for dinner and I'll cook you a dinner. I say, I trust you. And I don't show up for that dinner. She's not going to feel trusted. Now, if I go to the dinner and I'm there, but I burp once. That's probably going to happen. And I drop my fork once. That's probably going to happen too. And I'm definitely going to get food on me. Because I'm a little bit of a messy eater. And then I say something insensitive. That's like real life, amen? (laughs) But she's still going to feel loved. And she's going to overlook those. That burping. And that messy eating. Because I showed up. Trusting God is showing up. Just show up. That's what we need to do as as disciples. We don't need to not burp, not get messy, and not do all these things. We can try. Now I learned I got to put the napkin on my lap. I learned that from Danielle. I I saw her do it so many times. Like, Why is she putting that napkin on her lap? (laughs) 
Why do you keep dropping food on my lap? Whoa! I understand now. You know, but slowly but surely, I'm becoming a little bit of a less messy eater. I learned the other day that somewhat where to put the fork and the knife. I now don't burp at the dinner table as much. I'm really cleaned up than when I first started eating dinner with my wife. And that's what happens. You just keep showing up for dinner. Keep showing up when God calls you. And he's going to transform you into someone great. We're not, are we working church? Let us all pray to take Ken Cole's communion that says, whenever I feel a burden of God's commands, I'm not trusting him. And I'm going to first, instead of just gut out that command, I'm going to think about trusting God first. And let's see what he does. Let's stop working and really start trusting the way the Bible says. Amen. Amen.